going to continue our series in the book of Daniel. But before we do that, I'm just going to pray for us, and then we'll make a start. Father, I thank you that you are here this morning. Father, I pray that um, the message this morning will be spoken in a way that honors you, um, spoken in a way that gives you the glory. It's all for you. Jesus, we love you. Father, I pray that you come and bring new life this morning. I pray that you come and encourage us. I pray that you will come and challenge us. Holy Spirit, just come and speak to us this morning. Amen. So, we are in the book of Daniel, uh, where we are following a Daniel and his friends. They've been taken captives. Uh, they have uh, been moved uh, out of Judah, the state of Judah, and they are now in Babylon, uh, in enemy land, if you like. Uh, they are in a um, pagan culture. They're living in a very different culture, different gods. Uh, they're living in exile um, from a very young age. We, we heard from the beginning of, uh, at the beginning of this series, Daniel and his friends, they're young. They're young youth. Uh, and we see that they live faithfully and wholeheartedly for God. Uh, we see that they are faithful in exile, and they maneuver through an incredibly difficult uh, season in their life, uh, just following God with such wisdom and such grace, but also big, big boldness. Um, and today... We are not going to be looking at Daniel, even though we will encounter and see Daniel in chapter 4. But we're going to be looking at a different king, or a different character, a different king called King Nebuchadnezzar. So not Daniel, uh, even though he is in the story, but we're looking at the wonderful king, or the crazy king, as I've been saying, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? Uh, on May the 13th, I'm going to be writing history in my own life. So nothing major. I'm going to be running my first half marathon. Thank you. Yes, I need a bit of encouragement right now because my ticket may be sold. No. Um, and uh, is there anyone else who's going to run this race? Oh, thank you, Alad. Excellent. Chloe or Gary? Yes, there's a few of us. Very good. How's the training going, Gary? Excellent. Maybe I can get some tips from you at the end of this uh, preach. I could do some. <laughs> yeah, good luck to us both indeed. Uh, a few glimpses from my training journey. If it's a good day, the sun is shining, uh, I will run through the forest of Cotodala. This is my running style, by the way. I can have some tips, Gary, at the end as well. I run with very light steps. Thank you, Josh. Uh, very light steps. I'm loving it. I'm like, oh, I love running. This is the best sport ever. I can keep on going for kilometer after kilometer. I feel like I don't, I don't have to stop. I'm like, I'm going to nail it on the 13th. I'm going to run uh, under one hour. It's, it's a good day. The next day, slightly different story. Every step, if I feel like I'm carrying three kids on my back. My knee hurts. I'm like, whose idea was this? I actually don't like running. In fact, I hate running. And why am I doing this? And I come home and Josh is like, oh, how did it go today? I'm selling my ticket. I mean, this is, I hate it. And my, to be honest, my journey and my training journey towards Varvet is up 
and it's down. It's up, it's down. And Josh and I, we're going to run it together. We thought it would be a nice idea, like a different date. I definitely think it's going to be a, a date to remember, a date to remember, where Josh will go through all the different emotions that I will go through, and Josh will just carry on with a smile on his face, and I'll be like, uh, yeah. Now, when we look at Nebuchadnezzar, we're looking at a king who is up, he's down. He's up, he's down. He's, he's a bit crazy. Um, we're looking at a king who one moment will threaten that he's going to chop people up into pieces unless uh, they interpret his dream for them. We're looking at a king who um, will demand people to, to worship him, makes a golden image of himself and says, you need to bow down and worship me. He sees himself as God. But the next moment, he praises God, our God. He does some fantastic prayers, and he's like, yes, maybe he's given his life to God. He has some major ups and some major downs. And we are now in chapter 4, uh, where the king has another dream. It's his second dream that really worries him. Uh, he's terrified. And Daniel is with him uh, in the palace, and we're going to see what happens. So we're going to read, to start off with, uh, read chapter 4, verse 2 to 18. It's going to be up on the screen, and I'm going to read it out loud as well. Okay. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. So this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an internal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and the visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, the enchanters, the astrologers, and the diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the, of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the vision I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and the tree before me was a, um, looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man 
and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is a dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And the first thing we're going to look at is we're going to look at how does Nebuchadnezzar respond when he is afraid. Because we're starting off in chapter 4 where Nebuchadnezzar, he starts off by praising God. He de- he's declaring who God is. He's at home, he's happy, he's content. And then he has this dream while lying in bed. And it really troubles him. He's afraid. And we're going to see how he responds. Well, we, we see that he, first of all, he the number one thing he does is he calls on the wise men of Babylon. He calls on the enchanters, the astrologers, the magicians. He looks for them for help. It's like, interpret the dream for me. But they can't help him. Finally, he asks for Daniel. Daniel is the last resort. And I find this very, very strange because in chapter 2, which I think it was you, Josh, who preached on that, Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, or someone preached on chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, uh, which in fact he refuses to tell what it is. And he is saying, you need to get the dream revealed to you, and uh, you need to interpret it for me. He says that to the wise men, and he can't do it again. So Daniel comes, and God reveals the dream to Daniel, and he also interprets the dream with incredible accuracy. And I just don't get why Nebuchadnezzar doesn't call on him first. Why does he? I would do that. If I have someone among me who hears the voice of God, why does he not call for Nebuchadnezzar, um, for Daniel first? And I think this reveals something about Nebuchadnezzar. I think Nebuchadnezzar knows God in some ways. In fact, I think he knows him and he's seen God move. I mean, Joey been preaching in chapter 3 last week, where he, he basically, Nebuchadnezzar throws the three Hebrew friends into the big fire, into the big furnace, and God rescues them. They don't even smell of smoke. He's seen God move, but he doesn't know him. He doesn't know God. God has just been added to all of his other gods. Nebuchadnezzar has a bunch of gods. He has a Babylonian gods because he keeps referring to that the holy god is in, or the holy gods, sorry, is in, in Daniel. He has a bunch of gods. And he's just added the Hebrew god, Daniel's god, our god, to a bunch of other gods. He's very unsure. He tries everything, he's terrified. And he goes, okay, what can help me? What am I going to go for? Oh, I'll try this God. Oh, I'll try this God. Daniel is the last one. I wonder if that could be the case for us sometimes. I don't know. That we call on God. He's the last resort. The last one we come to when we are afraid or when we hit trouble. We live in a very, very busy world. We live in a very busy culture. We live in a culture where we have lots of gods. We don't see golden statues that we bow, are forced to bow down. 
but we have many gods in Sweden. Money, materialism, could be all sorts of things for different people. And uh, it can be easy to just add God to a list of things that we do. Oh, church on Sunday, tick. Mm, sometimes come to small group, tick. Oh yes, I trained three times this week, tick. And it's just one thing that we do. It's just a part of our culture. It's very easy to do that. It's easy for me to do that. We just add God to a list of things. But maybe he's not our priority. Maybe he's not the first thing we look, we look to when we are in trouble or when life is good. Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't put God first. God, he doesn't know God, first of all. God is not his priority. He's not surrendered and said, God, I give you everything. You are my number one priority. And the thing is, is God is a jealous God that wants our hearts and he wants all of it. I, I, I just don't think God is happy to just be added to a list or added to a bunch of other gods. But he wants all of us and he wants us to put him first and for him to be our priority. As a church, we are called good first or God first. And for some people that can be a bit of a weird name Good first. Well, that's a weird name. But actually, what it means is putting God first in everything that we do. That God is the number one priority. That when my life is really good, I put him first. I look to him first. When my life is actually not so good, I look to him and I put him first. We read in, in Proverbs 4, 23... Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. It's very challenging. It's very God, I'm, I'm going to come back to that, but God has really been talking to me about this this week. Above all else, guard your heart, because everything that I do will flow from it. We need to be a people that guard our hearts. And we do need to take a little bit of warning from Nebuchadnezzar because he was good with words, but his heart was so wrong. And for some of us, it might be that we, we just need to come back to him and say, God, I want you as my number one in my life. I want you as my number one priority. I'm sorry, I, 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 this has been my idol. I've been going after this so much, whatever it is. But God, I set you first. You are my number one priority. Or maybe you don't know God. Maybe your, your heart has not been given to God at all. And I just, God wants our hearts. God is here and he wants us to give everything. When I say God wants our heart, I mean God wants us to put him first. That we worship him. That he is our number one. That's what, he is a jealous God. Big declarations about God, it's not good, it's, not, it's useless. If our heart is not in the right place. Nebuchadnezzar, he was good with words, as I said before. He makes this fantastic declaration. And when we read beginning of chapter 4, it's like, wow, what a good prayer. But we see more and more but that he doesn't know God. God is not um, his king. 
He is his king. He thinks he rules and that he reigns. But we'll see soon that he doesn't. Daniel then interprets the dream. And he says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the tree. You are strong. Uh, you are influential. You're powerful. You are the tree. You become great and strong. But an angel is going to come, a messenger from heaven, a holy one, and he is going to destroy you. I mean, what an interpretation. Imagine bringing that. It's, a whole preach could be done on how Daniel speaks and what Daniel does. But I'm not looking at Daniel today. I'm looking at Nebuchadnezzar. But he says, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to lose your mind. Um, you are going to become like an animal living in the fields. Everything you have built is going to be gone. And it's going to be like that until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. In the ESV, it says that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. That is what, what, God, what uh, God is saying through, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, through Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel is saying, renounce your sins. Go away from your old ways. Turn and repent. And we read from verse 28 to 31. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Twelve months later. You know what? I think this is really interesting because God gives Nebuchadnezzar 12 months. So he speaks through Daniel and then he gives him 12 months. That speaks of God's character. That God is loving. He is gracious. He is patient. And actually in Timothy 2 verse 4 it says God wants all of us to repent and come to know him. That is God's desire for all of us and for this world. He wants people to come to know him. That's his heart. And he gives Nebuchadnezzar 12 months. God could have dealt with Nebuchadnezzar there and then and said, enough silliness, away with you. He could have done that. But God is a gracious God. He's loving. He's slow to anger and rich in love. He gives him 12 months to repent. So Nebuchadnezzar is walking on the roof of his palace. And I wonder if he's thinking, huh, Daniel... You probably got it wrong this time. I don't think this is going to happen now. Your God doesn't speak the truth. He's just carrying on like normal. And you know what? We can all be in danger. I'm preaching more to myself than to, to all of you. But we can all be in danger of thinking like this. Maybe God speaks to us. Or he asks us to change. Or he encourages us. Or he challenges us. But we just carry on like normal. We get on the tram in Gothenburg, just like anything, nothing has happened. But we read, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Everything that God said through Daniel happened, if we continue reading. And we know everything that God says will happen. We know that God will one day deal with things. God is a judge, he is, uh, and he will come and he will deal with things. We, I'm not going to preach from Daniel chapter 5, and I'm happy not to do that. But judgment, God, God is a fair judge. And he will come, and he will one day 
make everything right. He will deal with things. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. He lost his mind. He became like an animal. He lost his kingdom. And in verses 30 to 31, he says, Is not this the great Babylon I have built by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Look at me, he says. Again, it's his heart. He says, look what I built. I mean, he's, I mean Babylon, to be fair to Nebuchadnezzar, it was a powerful and influential city. In the eyes of man, he'd actually done well. He'd captured, he'd taken, you know, slaves. He was, in the eyes of men, he was doing well. Look what I built. Look what I've done. It's all about him. Look, and we must know that everything that we have is from God. It's a gift from God. Everything that you are good at, everything that I am good at, it all comes from God, the creator, because he has created us in the image of him. And you know, success in the kingdom of God is a good thing. Just look at Daniel. Daniel was with the king. Daniel and his Hebrew friends they had huge influence and actually power in Babylon. Yeah? And I think it's so important that us as Christians, that we are out in the real world, that we do what we are good at so as well as we possibly can to the glory of God. We need to have people out in the workplaces. We need doctors who put God first. We need politicians who put God first. We need people up who was working with the king that put God first. We need cleaners who put God first. We need people out in the real world, but who understand that everything that I have, my success, is because of him, not because of what I have done or how hard I worked. That's what Nebuchadnezzar is saying. Look at me. Look what I've done. It's not about you, Nebuchadnezzar. Our success comes from God. It does not come from ourselves. It says in James 4, verse 6 to 7, it says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. And this is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He's proud. He loves himself. He thinks of himself as God, that I rule and I reign. And actually, in Babylon, he was most likely seen as a God. People worshipped him in that culture. But also, he thinks that he is God, and that he rules, and that he decides. And it's not until he looks up, and he looks to heaven, and he acknowledges that the Most High rules, that his sanity is restored, and that he actually gets his kingdom back. We can read that as we go on. He has to bow. He has to acknowledge that he, the most high God, rules. And he doesn't. Let's read verse 34 to 35. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. 
I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? It's quite, on a good day, this is really encouraging. Actually, it can also be hard to hear this. God rules the earth. It's his. He is the one who decides. He does what he pleases. And on a good day, it's like, yeah, I really believe that. That's really good. On other days, that can actually be very painful to hear. God rules and he does what he pleases. So have you seen the mess I'm in? Or this is not going my way. You are telling me that you rule and you reign and you do what you pleases? He died. Do you see? Some, some days that can be extremely difficult to hear. On other days, it's easier to hear it. And it may be, we're even looking at the state of this world they were in. There's war. There's all sorts of things going on. And God is saying, I rule this earth. He does what he pleases. God is writing his story. And he's writing his story in his timing. It is not my timing. And it is not your timing. But God is writing history. And God does what he pleases. God does what he wants. Because he is the ruler of men. He's the ruler of all kingdoms. And we know that God keeps his promises. What God says will happen. And it may not feel like that right now. Or it may feel like that. Exactly. I don't know where all of you are at. But it... It does bring incredible security, knowing that he reigns. Whatever our circumstances, whatever we are facing, whether it's good, whether it's bad, he is the ruler of all kingdoms. And he will, as I said, one day he will make everything right again. And that is the God that Nebuchadnezzar encountered. He had a bunch of gods that he just called on whenever he wanted help, when he was afraid. He had all sorts of, of, of gods, but he had to acknowledge that the Hebrew God, Daniel's God, our God, was, is the one that reigns. And he had to bow. And that is the God that we worship today. And I'm going to give a little bit of time because I would like us to respond. And, um, and also, I have something, also, I feel God has um, been talking to me about some things he wants me to bring. Um, and sometimes when we respond, we do that in our seats. Uh, we, we just do that quietly. And that is good. And other times when we respond, we respond by maybe making a public response. And what we're going to do this morning, we're going to, we're going to start worshipping God in a minute, is that we are going um, uh, to, to put, basically put God first. 
if you feel that God has been talking to you this morning, maybe it is that you have known God for a long, long time and you've been walking with God, but he may have not been your priority. Maybe not the thing that you looked at first. It's almost like we're coming back to our first love. When you fall in love with someone and you love that person, you talk about that person all the time and you almost can't be quiet. It's just that God is calling us back to our first love. It's like, I want to be your priority. I don't want to be added to a list of things, just like Nebuchadnezzar. Or maybe you have not given your heart to God at all. Actually, your heart doesn't belong to God. Can I, encourage, can I encourage you and also urge you to explore this? If God is real and you are one day going to meet with him, surely you want to know him now. Daniel and his friends, they had to make some, they knew exactly when to fit in and just go with the flow. They knew. They were very respectful. They were full of grace. But there were also moments where they're like, no, we will not bow to this golden image. We refuse. They, make, they made a public statement in front of people. And we know the story because Jobin preached on it last week. And sometimes it is hard, I, but I just feel God is, wants us. If, if we want to make a public statement, in a minute when Emily starts playing... I'm going to invite you to come to the front and we can pray with you. And it's almost like a public statement. God, you are my number one. I'm going to put you first. As I was out walking uh, this morning with our dog, um, I just had a picture of God. I felt God speak to me about mud. I mean, there was lots of mud because it was raining. But I felt he was saying that there may be someone here who is trampalera. Uh, you're stamping in mud, um, and you are um, not getting anywhere. You're working very hard, extremely hard. But you're not getting anywhere, and you're tired. I just feel God is saying to you this morning, I want you to stop stampalera. I want you to stop walking in the mud. I want you to look up to me, and I want, you to, help. I want to help you. And it's almost like as you give your hand to God, he's going to put your feet on rocks in that mud. But he's just saying, you look to me for help. And if you, if you feel like that, if you're and not getting anywhere, if you're standing and just walking in the mud and not getting anywhere, I just urge you to come and respond. And God will meet you.